Hey, patrons, it's Scoots here, and uh, I think when you're listening to this, uh, it, like, uh, I think I'm recording this message way, way far in the future. So, hey, how's the future? Pretty, pretty, pretty. Is the future so bright you got to wear shades? Not at bedtime, it's not. Good night. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, physical sensations, noise, uh, well, you know, a partner that's uh, perfectly asleep except for the drool they're drooling on your pillow that they somehow wrangled away. Uh, it could be bird, you know, bird, bird calling. Uh, it could be a bird called you. That's kind of baffling thing that would keep me up at night. Uh, you know, whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's any of those things or a bunch of other things that I've heard from listeners, uh, whatever's keeping you awake, I'd like to take your mind off that to distract you. That's what the safe place is, uh, distracting, welcoming. I send my voice across the deep, dark night. I use lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones. I use a pace, you know, a pace, a pace I only use on this podcast. That's a good thing to bring my, my walking speed. I talked about, uh, racing thoughts. Uh, maybe I'll talk about that. I walk too fast. I think I've talked about that on, on the, on the show before, but let me get to the new listeners first. If you're new here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I just want to kind of give you a structural thing. If you've listened this far, thank you. The first five minutes of show, those are housekeeping and business. Uh, so if you're new, it's not too essential. If you've been listening to the show regularly, it's kind of essential that you hear that part of the show. Uh, and, and, you know, all the links and stuff are in the show notes. But that's the business. That's how we keep the show going. And then we have an intro, which we just started. Intros are about 12 to 15 minutes. Then we'll have, uh, like tonight, we're talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, Rascals, I believe. And so that'll take about 40, 45, 50 minutes. Then we'll have some thank yous at the tail end of the show. So that's the structure of the show. And the intro is extra long because some people use it to get ready for bed and some people fall asleep to it. It's become a show within a show or more of an example of, like, say, well, what skills, like, how do you put people to sleep? I said, well, let me just demonstrate. And actually, I don't put people to sleep. I, like, let me just, uh, let, me, let me tell you about the rules of the podcast. That's a good segue. Thank you. I don't know if that was a John August-level segue, my, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Script Notes. But uh, now I got, like, I got distracted. Every time I talk about people that, I, like, I, uh have an affinity for, I, I start blushing. But so, if you're new here, this is a podcast, which you normally would want to listen to the whole thing. Now, this one, you can have it on the whole time. You can just set a sleep timer, whatever works for you. But you can, you only need to kind of listen. Like, kind of like, and I mean, let's be honest, our guards down here, you're in bed. I try to be honest with everybody. There are times when you, like, you're not in the mood for listening. And usually, that's the kind of thing... They either you like a couple of things that maybe you feel guilty about it. Maybe it's an, an ad- adaptation thing. You say, well, I just want to, I don't really, I don't think this person actually needs me to listen to them. They might want me to, but you know, they're talking about whatever in, you know, maybe you get a lot going on. Maybe your mind's racing. My mind's always racing. So that's one reason I have trouble listening, but let me tell you my expectation right here. You don't need to listen to me. You can listen to be distracted but you don't got to feel bad about not listening you, you don't have to feel bad about not, not having any idea what i'm talking about this podcast is here for you to take your mind off stuff so you can do with it what you will but it's also not a podcast to put you asleep it's a podcast to keep you company maybe put you in a little bit better mood it to pull you out of the rigmarole of the whole the, i guess i can't i don't know I, i've overused like a the struggle to sleep or whatever you want to call it, the hassle, and maybe make bedtime feel a little bit le- less like that, a little bit less serious. 
ideally, if I really, if I, if I'm bringing my A game, or I always bring my A game. What, I don't even know what that means, but like, uh, like ideally, in a perfect world, I make bedtime feel delightful. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, and this is different than a lot of stuff out there, especially because I say, geez, it, it's uh, it's here to distract you. So ideally, like I'm keeping you company. But you're not listening to me, but you're distracted because you're just listening to me enough and not to think about whatever's keeping you awake. And we're kind of walking side by side, but at some point we cross over the threshold from wake to sleep and you drift into the arms of Morpheus or whatever sleep deity you prefer or just, you know, giant, you know, giant bed. So if you're new here, those are the things. So tonight we'll be talking about rascals, uh, and I think I wanted to talk about how I walk, my, my pacing of my walking. I don't, like, I don't pay, I, I don't do a lot of pacing, but I walk very fast. I'm, I'm not good at walking slowly. But despite this I always try to stay, you know, stay remembering, stay remembering. I try, I try to take my time, like, uh, and, and go at a slow pace, uh, so this episode, Rascals, that's an interesting name because it's not really any rascal, rascally behavior in there. And there's the Little Rascals, which I think was it was a black and white thing, but it was on WPIX when I was a kid. And so I'd watch that. Usually I think the episodes consisted of them building, I think, I'm not sure if every Little Rascals episode had a... Uh, like a soapbox derby car or whatever you call that. Go, what do you call those things? I think that's what it is, a soapbox derby. But I do think the majority of them involved that. Newspapers and, like, uh, you know, adults being— the Adults were always the rascals, and I guess that's the world we live in, you know. And whatever it can—what keeps me up at night is a little rascally, these rascally-like thoughts— I don't know what I could call them other than, like, little rascals. So that's one thing is, like, uh, they're always up to stuff. And I think uh, the little rascals were always up to stuff and not, nothing I can remember. I don't know. I think they were in a time before it was called precocious. Uh, I don't know when that word. And, and uh, now I think, like, uh, I think with the, the last Dennis the Menace movies, that went out of the, the uh, vernacular, precocious. Now it's a more of a, I think it's a passive aggressive word. And so we try to avoid those things here. But I guess like, uh, it sounds very nice. I guess that's why people use it in passive and say, well, that kid is just precocious. And you could say that you scooch, you know, and, and I say, you're right. I may not be using it correctly. I did like the little rascals, uh, but like, I don't really remember much about it. And, so, but this episode doesn't have to do with that. It has some child actors, and I guess if you were whatever those, I can't remember the the names of the, the other, like whoever takes over the ship. I want to say the Mitochlorians, but you think that's uh, what gives you the force. Ferengi. If you're a Ferengi, you'd say the kids in this episode are rascals. And I would say to talk, I'd say that would be like a good quality of the Ferengi. They're rascally in a good way. Like they, they're rascally like behavior. Really, like that's one of the things I love. Like you'd say, like if you if we're having a gratitude list, talk about changing the subject. But uh, Ian, I did live in the age of the USS Enterprise, Star Trek Generation, Next Generation. I don't know, it's that 25th or 26th century. Like, and then I, like, and I had a podcast then, like, maybe I, maybe I was the gr- gratitude officer. I mean, I wouldn't be on the Enterprise, be on the, uh, be on the, the, I wouldn't be on the USS, it'd be on something, something else spanky, it, like held together. You'd say, well, yeah, but I, like, I could be the gratitude officer and I'd say, okay, gather round crew, it's time for gratitude time, uh. We're, we're, we're thinking of things we're grateful for for the Ferengi who keep annoying us. But, uh, you know, they have green, they have sparkly green uh, highlights on their outfits. That's one thing I'm grateful for. They, I like how they use their hand. Their hands are very expressive. Also, their faces. But, they're by, you know, you could really see a lot with the Ferengi's hands. Uh, also, I'm grateful because they just crack me up. Uh, I don't know if it's the ego or what, what their ego or their it is, but they're usually in it for themselves. 
also, if the Ferengi didn't have such a great impact on us, I'd say if they don't know any better. If it, you know, if it didn't affect us, if we were, uh, if I was Q, if I was in that continuum. By the way, if anybody's listening from that continuum, I don't know if you've gotten my letters, uh, but you could just respond. You don't need to, like, unless all these strange things, you know, all my bad luck is like a letter from you. But if we were in the continuum, we'd just say, Ferengi, what, what do they get? What are you going to do? That's what they do. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I don't like, uh, sometimes, I guess, like, uh, grateful for their boots. Um, yeah, so th- that could be something, um, like, so that could be something that comes up in this podcast. It doesn't come up in this podcast episode, but, you know, those are things to be grateful for. And who would have known that tonight we will be talking about a Ferengi and it's like uh, the way it's studying a fish tank. So that's the kind of like uh, things I'm going to be doing to keep you company. So if you're new here, I realize this podcast is like in the abnormal range. Uh, like here's a person who's, you say, what are your dreams, Scoots? Well, what, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I won't get into the academy. We've covered that enough. I don't think I would belong on a, on a starship except maybe to visit, but I could, you know, I could, like, I could see myself, uh, like, like having a podcast about, uh, one episode, maybe in the present day about things I'm grateful for from the Ferengi. You say, great, uh, you know, yeah, it's right. Beyond the stars or whatever they say, uh, space, the final frontier, so if you're new here, uh, that's what we're going to be doing, uh, like tonight. And then the show comes out Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Tuesday is usually like a story made up on the spot. Thursdays are written stories. They all have same long meandering intros, but the time stamps are usually in there so you can skip ahead. But the whole idea of the podcast is uh, that I've been there. Uh, I might not know exactly what you're going through. But I know what, you know what, you deserve a good night's sleep. And, uh, geez, it's rough when you can't sleep. And, and I feel bad. And for some people, this podcast works for, I could keep you company. There's some people that listen, they never fall asleep. I'm just here for them. Their boyfriend, their companion in the deep, dark night. Uh, but for a lot of people, I can be the one that takes your mind off of stuff while you slip into slumber. And that's a, a role it couldn't be more honored to, to do. So, as I always say, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate your time, and I really hope I really work hard, and I really yearn to help you fall asleep, so thank you. All right, hey, everybody, it's uh, time to talk about uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, you know, and it goes, what does he say? So it goes, what it, oh, no, that's uh, that's the Carvana getting that uh, Commander, uh, it just almost said Commander Geordi LaForge, holy fan fiction. We're talking about episode six, Rascals. Uh, nice little uh, title for episode. Let me see what, uh, like, uh, oh, no, season six. Season six, episode uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven, about? It looks like about seven. I don't know. My old Kindle Fire is in uh, reboot mode. So let me get the episode going here, but uh, I really liked this. I really enjoyed this episode. Really, uh, like, a fun one. And uh, this is one you could probably watch with your kids, depending on, like, their view of, like, uh, like, uh, th- like I searched the Internet for most friendly kid uh, Star Trek episodes, and this was one that came up. But I'll tell you what, it was no child's play getting to the end of this episode for the crew of the Enterprise, if you pardon my uh, pun. Oh, it looks like it was episode four. Oh, boy, you won't notice a gap, but I'm back again. It is, it's episode seven. I say it started episode four, which I've been watching, too. So that'll be a couple episodes from now you'll hear that. But yeah, according to Captain's Log, Ensign Rowe, Keiko O'Brien, Guinan, and, and uh, Captain Command, Ca- see Captain, I don't know, Commander Picard, uh, they're returning to uh, Enterprise after a fascinating visit to Marlonia. And those of you that remember a perfect mate, you got a taste of this because Picard is so cute on this episode, too. He is. Uh, 
on Merlonia, they had, I guess they had different, they were at a, um, archeological dig or Picard was, and Picard is really, really uh, jazzed about what he did. He found some Merlonian, or no, is it Mer- Merlonian cookware? Yeah, some ancient Merlonian cookware. Uh, what does this say? Lick thumbs. Like Themis. Uh, I guess sometimes my handwriting is really bad. Like thumbs. Uh, but he says he's like so happy. He's like, geez, oh, like the thumb, like the thimbles. That's what it was said. Like the thimbles from a perfect mate, uh, where Picard likes uh, these symbols. But these are like, he's like, oh, look at these patterns on these things. Way more Brunian than Taguanian, which is close to Merlonian. And Guinan gives him a hard time. She says, you're on the most beautiful planet in the quadrant and you spent your shore leave in a cave. And Picard says, of course. He goes, it was so rewarding. You got to look at these fragments. Nearly perfect condition. And 700 years old, which is how old Guinan's father is. Now, I don't want to point any fingers, but I said, John, Luke, are you allowed to be uh, taking uh, ancient pottery off planet? Uh, and again, I, I said, well, maybe this is a profession. Like, maybe he's showing. And then I said, well, he's touching them with his bare hands. Uh, but they probably, like, covered in some sort of, uh, you know, like, a coat, invisible coating. Guinan, I, I love when Guinan appreciates, like I do, uh, Jean-Luc's enthusiasm because she's just grinning as he's talking about it. Then we have this nice uh, moment that uh, Roe and Keiko share. I don't know if there's ever a callback to this moment that I can remember, uh, but maybe there is because uh, 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 Keiko O'Brien has... Uh, like plants in her lap, and then Rose says, is that a Dravidium fractus or something? And Keiko goes, it's a Calamus or something. It's just a, you look at the shape of the leaf. She goes, I didn't know you liked plant biology. And Rose goes, well, I took one class about it. Keiko's really, really happy, not just like finding out you could be friends with someone, you know, that has, a, Lucena Rowe has this, a similar disposition to me. And it's like, like her, her, like, uh, I don't know, like very, like, uh, she's very grouchy like I am, but in a different way than Worf. I, unfortunately, I have both of their grouchy feelings, her features. But she, then uh, Worf says, hey, by the way, Fermi, 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 which I think is someone famous, uh, uh, Rogos, go ahead. They go, we got a distressed distress call in Lago 7. And Picard says, what's up? Uh, what did they say? And Worf goes, the call got cut off. Uh, low signal. And Picard goes, let's lay a course and engage at warp eight. I didn't know these uh, shuttles could go and warp. Oh, no, no. He says, lay a course for them. They'll go to warp eight as soon as he gets on. And then they say, aye, sir. And, uh, oh, he said, is bro a secret plant fan? But then she also dismisses Keiko, I think, to cover up. She, like She's like, I don't want anybody knowing I'm a plant fan, Keiko. And let's see. Uh, what else? Uh, then the distress call comes. Call's cut off. Lay course. Uh, Rose, like, Rose on it. She's like, we'll be there in three minutes. And then right as Rose starts driving or flying, there's like this weird blue energy field. And the ship's like doing lots of bouncing. And uh, I think at some point, I wonder if this is after the opening or before Riker looks over at Worf uh, and the ships. This must have been after the opening. Oh, no, there wasn't. This is, I guess I thought the opening was there, but Riker goes in right when they're caught in this thing. And Worf's like, they're caught in an energy field and that the you know, ship's engines and life support are going out. And Riker goes, get get the ship, get the transporter ready, full impulse, let's get them back once we're in range. And then they're on a shuttle, Rogue can't get a hold of the Enterprise, the whole ship's shaking, it's got like a effect, like a pool on a ceiling, like a swimming pool, you know, when it's the reflection of a swimming pool. Roll and Picard, Picard's like, transfer the auxiliary power, the computer's like warning structural fa- failure. O'Brien is the one in the um, uh, transporter room, which again I said is like a conflict of interest in my opinion. 
like it happens twice because his wife's on board. So they said, Riker's like, well, Brian, you got him. He's like, almost. And then he goes, I can't get a pattern lock. And then the shuttle, Riker's like, the shuttle's in trouble. You got to do it, chief. And then O'Brien's like, well, I got them, but we're 40% short on mass, uh, which has got to be devastating for O'Brien's like, I think we lost one of them, which the math doesn't add up. No offense, O'Brien, but it doesn't add up. 40% of four uh, does not equal one. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I'm also terrible at math. Uh, and then they energize, and then there's four, uh, like, uh, tweens. I guess back then I don't think they called them tweens, but this now it's clear they're tweens. And let's see, poor O'Brien, I put, uh, can't get a pattern lock. Uh, they warp him, and there's kids, uh, tweens. O'Brien's look, he's got a real hot, like, like a wild look on his face. And then the lead, there's one male, and he, he's got a high voice. Uh, I mean, it's pretty instant that, that you know it's Picard, but he says, Thank you, Mr. O'Brien. In this, like, kind of scratchy, like, tween voice, a tween male voice, two, thir- two minutes and 30 seconds. And I was thrown off by the clothes because Rose's sleeves are way too long, but then Keiko and Picard's clothes mostly fit, and same with uh, Guinan. And then Picard realizes uh, something's wrong off of O'Brien's look. He's like, wait a second, O'Brien's looking at me weird. He should be looking at me, like, you know, subserviently or whatever. And he looks around, he realizes, uh, and then he swallows very hard. I like the swallow, and the episode opens now. And then after the opening, we're in the med bay. Roe's getting scanned, Ensign Roe. And I liked the shot. Roe, uh, Guinan, and Keiko are sitting like back to back to back in like kind of like a triangle on one bed. I just liked that shot. I, I don't know. I liked how the, all three of them were back to back. They're all kids or tweens. And then Picard is with Crusher and... Who's he with? Crusher and Riker. And I put Holy Curls. And I thought this was interesting thinking about the pod, this podcast because uh, I guess it's the first season six episode I've ever seen, maybe. But Troy's hair is very different, I think. I don't know. I don't have a hair chart, but it seemed much curlier. And, uh, like, uh, I don't know. And then I think about people that listen to the early podcast episodes and then listen to newer ones without, like, going through, like, a slow transformation. Like, Worf was very different in season one, I think, and two. And then his look kind of changed. And same with Troy's hair in this one. It's like if you bounce around, it can throw you off. Or if you see the slow progression, you almost never notice. I mean, if this was the first episode of a season, it might throw you off that Troy's hair is different. But once you're in the season, you're not going to notice. And people get their hair, you know, change hair all the time. So why can't they do that on a starship? But I'm just saying the sound of this podcast has changed uh, a little bit over time. Ideally, it's trying to get it better. And uh, I don't know, sometimes they hear, like, I'm more comfortable I am. More comfortable I am screwing up. it reflects the show. I don't. I don't know. So anyway, let's get back to this episode because it's getting away from me here on the in the screen. So holy curls! What happened to Sh- Shuttlecraft One? Uh, Picard, young Picard, asks in his high voice. Everyone's kind of weird, you know, weirded out. Uh, and Riker says it broke up. Data's salvaging it. Uh, and then Crusher goes, what do you think you passed through? And Riker goes, we're trying to figure it out, but a lot of interference. It's going to take time. And Picard says, no way. we got to deal with, uh, leave a probe. we got to get to LIGO 7 for the rescue. And then he's like our, in command again. He goes, uh, let me know when you know something. Number one, you're with me. And Crusher's like, i got to run some tests, Captain. He goes, yeah, and those three. Sitting back to back to back, uh, they'll remain and assist you, Dr. Crusher. And they walk off. Uh, and Troy gives Riker a look. Uh, w- w- this was after what happened to Shuttlecraft One. There's like a Crusher reaction when, to just uh, Picard speaking. Young Picard, Gene Luke, we'll call him. Gene, 
Yeah, Jean-Luc. Uh, and uh, then Troy looks at Riker. Like, they're all sharing a look. Uh, uh, the three of you, reunion is good, Picard. Oh, Picard says remain there. But as Picard leaves, he looks back before he gets to the door. Uh, and Troy, Troy and Crusher have these blank looks on their faces. Then we go to Guinan, and she's smiling, and Roe is very grumpy. She also has that great headband. She's like, geez, why, what do you want? Roe's like, what are you smiling at? And Guinan goes, you're pretty cute as a kid. She goes, I don't want to be cute. Uh, and Guinan says, geez, were you this great, nice as a kid? She goes, uh, I was a refugee, by the way. So fun wasn't in my vocabulary. And Guinan totally put, she goes, well, we're not now. Uh, so, and Roe goes, you know what's fun? Getting back to work, back to normal. Uh, then we have Picard and Riker on the, on the lift, and Riker looks down. He's so uncomfortable. And that makes Picard feel awkward. Oh, no, no, Riker looks down at Picard because he's so much taller. And they get on the bridge, and everyone is totally stunned. Flab- I'd say flabbergasted. This is like seven minutes into the episode. And Worf even, I mean, I guess this would make sense for his character. He looks at Riker, like, who has this authority here? And Riker just nods at Worf. Uh, and then Crusher comes in. She kind of looks a little bit, uh, like, Picard's trying to give out orders uh, and say, don't worry about it. Crusher's on, and I'm still in charge. And uh, Crusher comes to the bridge while he's saying that, and she's got an uncomfortable look on her face. And at some point she says, listen, can I talk to you privately, Jean Luke? Also, there's an ensign on there that looked pretty young. It, like, it just threw me off, uh, like a younger-looking ensign on the bridge. So then they go into his ready room or whatever they call it, and Jean Jean Luke orders a girl gray hot... Uh, which, like, crushes really good. She just has this ridiculous look on her face. Like, this is ridiculously uncomfortable. Her arms are crossed as John Luca tries to have some tea, and he tries to be distracted. He hops on his computer, and then finally Crusher sits down because, uh, you know, they're just talking about, Jesus, what do you think? Get ready for this. We got to get ready for this rescue. And she says, Gene, Luke, we, we got to talk here. And he goes, talk, what do you want? Are you going to relieve me of duty? And she goes, I'd rather not do that. He goes, I'm still Gene, Luke, Picard. I'm John, Luke, Picard, but just call me Gene, Luke. Uh, for now, everything's normal, just not my body. And she, I think she knows really, like, there's a subtext of, like, uh, puberty's coming like, cause she, and she went through it with Wesley, so maybe that's another thing. It's like, even if you're totally intact, what if those hormones start raging? But she goes out at you, because she says, this could be the first stage of a condition that may begin to affect your mind as well. And, like, uh, Picard says, yeah, but there's no evidence of that. And she says, well, check your chest. Does your chest have any hair? He says, not yet. And she says, okay. That part didn't happen, but it could have. And, uh... She goes, here's what I know. The captain of the ship has gone and undergone an extreme physical transformation, and I don't know the effects of it yet. And she goes, he goes, what are you, are you asking me to step down? And she goes, you are still Jean-Luc Picard, and you're also Jean-Luc Picard. What are you going to do? And he walks, and he doesn't have the same posture. I, like I don't know, maybe but he slouches a little bit, this kid. I mean, for the most part, this acting, this child, these child actors are phenomenal. I mean, even John Luke, that's a difficult role uh, to play, or Gene Luke. But he says, he goes on the bridge, he says, Commander Riker, take command of the ship till further notice. And Riker says, understood. Uh, what other notes do I have? Uh, oh, he, I liked during the scene with Crusher and Ricardo how he kind of looks out a window and Crusher, she almost walks up to him when she says, what I do know is that, like she says in almost a whisper, the commander of the ship is, you know, gone. And that was at 10 minutes uh, when he tells Riker to take over the ship, and there's like a like a look shot, breathes, moves his eye. I assume that means long shot. Uh, 
Then we have Ro and Guinan walking, and Guinan's like, hey, what the hell? Let's go play. Uh, and Guinan, Ro's like, I don't play. Like, I, like, I just want to go. I don't want to do anything. Uh, I want to control this situation. And Guinan's like, we're young. Didn't you ever see, like, the one, like, uh, that TV show was made into a movie? And they played Kick the Can, and then they became young, how great it was. And Ro goes, I don't know. And she goes, it came out right around when this episode came out, I think. But Guinan goes, go ahead and play without me. And Guinan goes, what are you going to go back to your room and pout? And Ro goes, I'm not 12. Uh, I don't care if I look 12. Uh, let me go back to my quarters and contemplate things. And that's not pouting. And, like, while she walks away, Guinan like, lets her go and then runs after her. And uh, what does this say? She's at 10.55. Oh, no, though. She says, okay, okay. Yeah, but then Guinan skips after Rose. She's walking to her room to contemplate things. Then we have a great scene at 10. Or it starts at 10.55 with Keiko and Chief O'Brien. Uh, first, Keiko wants to spray her plants. She needs a stool just to reach her plant sprayer. And there's lots of awkward looks from O'Brien the whole time as she's doing it. And then she places an orchid on the table. And I said, what the hell? Is, has, has Sigmund Freud watched this episode? Because it said, what in the hell? And I think she even touched the, the, the plant. And then O'Brien goes, she said, how about some coffee? Uh, and she goes, I'll get it. He goes, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Uh, and I said, what are you doing, chief? Kids can't have coffee. Like I had, I, I, I've tested that out as a kid and it didn't go well. Back when I was a campfire girl, like, which I was, but we were the first, I think, group of, uh, mixed male campfire, like, uh, I think you had to sell peanut brittle at the gro outside the grocery store. But at the time, the grocery store had free coffee, and I drank, like, four coffees. It, like, it was not pleasant. Uh, like, uh, like my body did not like having all that coffee. And all my friends were like, what are you doing? I said, I'm drinking. I think I even made, like, a half coffee, half tea, half cream. So I know it's a bad idea giving Keiko coffee. And Chief likes his black with double, double sweet but black, uh, and Keiko takes hers with, uh, I think, sugar and cream and sugar, one sugar, one cream. Which I said, geez, uh, that's interesting that they replicates like that. And then they sit down as a married couple next to each other in sync. They put their cups up in sync. And then she tries to snuggle up with him for comfort. And that freaks Chief out. He goes, this is wrong. And she goes, I'm your wife, Miles O'Brien. And she kind of grabs him by the collar he goes, yeah, you're my wife, but you're 10. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess, uh, like, thinking about it from an empathetic way, it must be incredibly hard for O'Brien. And then even if you're thinking about the long term. And then Keiko gets, she goes, well, what does this mean? Is this it? Uh, and he goes, I didn't say that. But he goes, until they reverse this, uh, he goes, it's just difficult. Uh, and she goes, well, what if they can't reverse it? What does that mean? And then their daughter starts calling them. And she's in bed. Uh, also, I thought the acting was great. I thought w the way the rhythm of her speech was very like uh, Keiko. And uh, then the daughter calls. She said, Mommy, Mommy. The daughter has like really nice purple blankets and sheets, uh, like kind of like a purple Kandinsky print. And then Keiko's a little, you know, the daughter doesn't recognize her mom. And O'Brien hugs hugs her. He says, don't worry, Keiko, it's going to be all right. I, I, I don't know how we're going to. And again, again, I love that the way they, uh, if you really pay attention to these Star Trek episodes, this is one lesson hopefully I'll learn. And it, the best one was um, that noir one, uh, which I can't think of the name of it, uh, with uh, Picard and, and Crusher and Data and that other random dude. But uh where he, like, they're willing to say, I don't know the answers. Uh, I guess that's part of being an explorer. He says, geez, Keiko, I don't know how we're going to fix this, but we'll get through it. Uh, then we get our officer, first officer's log. Uh, they got to Lagos. They're looking for the science team. No progress on figuring out stuff with the, the crew, the shrunken crew. And we see Jean-Luc. He's touching his lymph nodes or his Adam's apple in the mirror or something. 
14.15 is the minutes. He's feeling his baby face, a lack of beard. And then he runs his hand through his hair, which he has really good hair, which I thought was funny. It was really witty casting, I think. Uh, and then he puts his jacket on, his doorbell rings, it's Troy. And she's like, I'm just here to see how you're doing. I mean, I guess I would always say, is this a professional visit? I mean, that would be my first question, which I would, so I would probably just not answer the door ever. But I liked also she stood behind him in the mirror and, uh, you know, he's, he's like, she's not great. First he makes a joke. I'll have to talk to my tailor about my clothes. Uh, but he goes, you know, I look ridiculous. I feel ridiculous. Nobody respects me, right? And she goes, people that know you and were probably uh, will adjust eventually. But she goes, some people might not be able to accept a 12-year-old captain. I think this was before Doogie Hauser, though. Doogie Hauser may have changed the paradigm. Or, you know, this, this is in the future. Them, you know, saying, let's watch Doogie Hauser. That'll solve it. And I think there's a, another child comedy, oh, a child prodigy comedy with that guy from the third... That third rock, what's it called? Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, my dad, my dad's favorite TV show, uh, the Super Super Smart Club or whatever. I, I don't know what it's called, but it's uh, like Sheldon. That's what the new show's called. But it, it, like he's not really Doogie Howser because he's an adult. Uh, I mean, for me, I would have just quit my job and like started. Uh, I guess I become like a Han Solo, like a young Han, Han Solo. I mean, he could be such a grifter. But that's not, you know, John, Gene Luke or John Luke. They're a lot better than me. But he says, geez, I don't know. I guess I'll have to wait till I grow up again before I'm in charge. Uh, 10, 15 years. What do I do till then? Troy goes, you could do some other stuff. He goes, yeah, no, no. I'm, a, I'm not sitting behind a desk. Yeah, I'm a captain. And she goes, what about the academy? He goes, yeah, I'll be Wesley Crusher's roommate. Uh, he, he, at first he's mad, but then he goes, well, that has an appeal. But he goes, I've spent my life looking forward, and I don't want to go backward. And she goes, what about other stuff? He goes, like, quit. She goes, we'll take a sabbatical. You could get some of those uh, pottery or whatever you're into. And Picard's like, wait a second, you're right, Dr. Langford. I don't know if that's a possible romantic interest either. Said, geez, I could check out the ruins on Suvin floor, whatever, Suvin something four. You know, that would be cool. And Troy goes, geez, you're, in a way, you're lucky. You have a chance to do what most people only dream about, a second childhood without the pain of growing up again, which is a little uh, uh, a little bit confusing uh, statement. Uh, let's see, crawling through cave. I really thought he was giving some great looks uh, and some of the stuff Troy said, the young actor that was playing Gene Luke. Uh, it, and then I thought Troy was really good because she has this jealous look on her face when she says that. Meanwhile, he's kind of just looking at the pots, the pottery. Then we have Crusher and R Riker. They're giving us a lesson in, like, puberty and RVN. And she's like, we got a couple of options. Uh, she goes, we'll figure it out on these plants maybe first. Uh she goes, or we could do nothing and wait till they grow up, uh, or we could buffer them in the transporter. And I put, but why? Not sure why. Let me look at the dialogue here. Yeah, they could buffer them, replace the missing sequences. Uh, oh, she says, but we can't attempt that until we figure out why it happened first. Uh, which I don't know if they, like, not to spoil it, but I don't think they do figure it out. Uh, then O'Brien is looking through the wreckage. Jordy comes in. He goes, this stuff isn't tritanium anymore. And he crumbles up part of the ship. Uh, there's also a dude right at the ready for, for the sample that Jordy, Jordy's like, let me run some tests on it. And the guy's standing right behind him. Here you go, boss. Then we have a great first shot of Guinan's purple feet dangling, or this could be a purple blue situation like that friggin' dress, but I would say bluish purple. And she sighs. Again, it's so hard. I mean, I'm, I don't direct anything, but I watch enough stuff uh, with professional act, child actors are like my, one of my pet peeves uh, than child actors that act well. Uh, and he's just a really good, really good job. And I mean, I watched this episode five or six times. So 
Uh, but Guinan is a size, and she stands up. She kind of looks at this bauble, a bubble-like bauble that is on Rose's table with some perfume bottles, it seemed like. And Guinan goes, this is so boring. And Rose goes, what, do you want to play with some dolls? And she goes, well, I just don't want to sit here while you sulk. Uh, and Rose goes, this isn't your glorious second childhood. Our bodies, you know, this is, she goes, this is some force that changed our bodies. Aren't you bothered? And Guinan goes, sure, but it's out of my control, so we might as well enjoy it. Uh, and you could tell Ro had a tough time because she goes, oh, being short and awkward is a gift. Uh, and Guinan goes, is there one part of childhood you didn't loathe? Uh, and Ro goes, it was a long, depressing period of my life, and I was grateful when it was over. So then Guinan goes, I bet you like jumping on beds and furniture and stuff. And Ro goes, no. And Guinan goes, oh, you did. The quiet ones always look so innocent. But they love jumping on beds. And Ro goes, yeah, I didn't have a lot of beds, by the way. Uh, and Guinan goes, but when you did, you jumped on it. And Ro goes, no. And Guinan goes, yeah. And so this is a good episode thematically, I think, or like whatever emotionally for like Ro. And then they jump on the bed like Tarkasian razor, razor buddies. Uh, razor B, razor B buddies. And then we see O'Brien, Crusher, Riker, and Jordy trying to figure out what happened. And then Worf calls. He goes, we're in orbit around Lyco 7. And Riker heads to the bridge. He rolls up on date. He puts his leg up like that Riker move he likes to do, where he leans on his knee, which turns out, I guess he, like, uh, uh, Freaks had a lot of back issues, uh, and he's talking to Data about, you know, there's interference or something. And then out of nowhere, two uh, the decloaked Klingon ships, Brown class, appear. And Rector goes, shields up, take us out of orbit. Uh, red alert, you know, like uh, they're in the, like, uh, they're dealing with it. Uh, prepare to return. There's a quick shot. Oh, that was a quick shot of Picard. That's at 2345. Oh, because this is an important shot, actually. At 2345, Picard was like, uh, covers up something he was doing with a microscope uh, in a book. I, I, I thought it was interesting. He, like, he was using a microscope in a book, and he, cover, he, he like, tries to cover his tracks. Like, he was reading some, like, uh, like uh, Karma Sutra that's, like, engraved on pottery or something. I don't know. Uh uh, then there's an ad break, and the ship it comes back. The ship's under fire. Worf uh, and Data, you know, they're trying to deal with it. The shields are at 13%. Life source is 67 uh, They said, we got to get some more power. We're being, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We're being boarded. And then Picard's heading towards the turbo lift. He runs right into a dude uh, there. who, uh, And then they're on the bridge. Uh, two people phase in. It's red, red energizer, and Worf takes a shot of one of them misses, and then they 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 get Worf, uh, stun him. Uh, Data ju- jumps into the action. Riker dives out of the way, does like a roll dive, like eighties action movie style. But he also like does like where you lock your phone thing. He secures the ship's controls. Uh, and then it's Morden or something. I don't know. Let me look. There's these are Ferengi that are doing it. I can never for some reason I can't remember that name Ferengi when I need it. Uh, but yeah, Riker scrambles the computer or whatever, so no one can control it. Oh, it's Morda. And they say send all able-bodied people down to the plant surface of the planets. Uh, then we see O'Brien's under guard, Jordy, and a bunch of other people in their transporter room. We go back to the bridge. Worf's taking a little nap on the floor. And two of the Ferengi are arguing on whose fault it was that the computer got locked. And 2610, there's a really good entrance of the Ferengi leader. Very, uh, like, very, like, dramatic and good. He comes onto the uh, bridge grinning. He's holding his hands. His name is Damon. And he's like, enough, Where, what's with this arguing? Where's the captain? And Riker says, uh, uh, I'm in charge of this ship or whatever. Um, like, who, who, whose authority are you? He goes, I'm Damon. Uh, this is a lost ship. I claim it is Ferengi Salvage. 
and you'll have to cooperate with us, or you'll be in big trouble. And then there's another ad break. Uh, then we see the shot of the planet uh, and the ships. Uh, and then Picard gets thrown into, like, I've never been on a cruise ship, but it looks like the teen lounge I've heard about on cruise ships or tween lounge. Uh, like a place tweens can hang out. I don't know. I guess I would never, I've never been on a t- cruise ship. Probably by the time I actually ever go on a cruise, I'll be with a tween. So she could report to me about it, but that'll be a couple of years from now. Um, but yeah, like he gets thrown in there. 27, 22, I think. Uh, Picard gets tossed in from Roe, Keiko and Guinan all rush to him. Roe kind of fills him in on what's been happening. And there's lots of good extras acting. I guess I, I really hate to pump up the acting so much, but uh, it's good. Like, there's lots of kids standing in the background, these extras, and they're having these fake conversations. I thought it was great. Uh, and they have these, like, pastel outfits, lots of overalls, uh, not all in overalls. And, again, I don't know the difference between an overall and a jumper, uh, but very stylish. I think there's a period, like an electronic periodic table on the wall, lots of bonsais up and around. And Keiko's like, where's my kid? He's like, primary care, don't worry. Uh, and then Picard's like, what are our options here? And Rogue goes, well, we could uh, use some uh, laughing gas. Uh, Picard goes, no, computer's locked. Uh, and Rogue goes, well, if they're Ferengi, they're probably pleased and overconfident. And Picard goes, agreed, okay. And they don't like, uh, they probably don't think they need a ton of people on the ship. We could use surprise. We could be tactical. And Guyan goes, tactical? Gene and Luke, uh, we're children. And Picard goes, we, we can't do any, we have to do something. And she goes, yeah, but we can't act like adults. And Picard says, well, what should we do? She goes, act like children uh, and do something. And I, like, I, oh, that's when I call it the adventure teen zone. Or maybe that says adventure. Like, this is also tactical adventure Zeon Loke. That's what my handwriting says Adelandian Xeon Locke. But she plants idea in his head. Then the Ferengi, like there's a Ferengi rubbing Picard's desk. I think it's Daemon. And then he puts his feet up. He's got even green boots on. And Riker comes in and he says, geez, uh, like I got uh, I got your ship, uh, you know. And Picard goes, I hope you have a high profit margin. He goes, of course we do. He goes, we're not even affiliated with the Ferengi Alliance. We're solo entrepreneurs. Uh, it was so profitable. And Ricard, Riker goes, so this is all about profit. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we got a planet full of the gems, and now we got a ship we can sell. Totally. We're great. You know, we're great. He goes, you're going to labor on it, uh, and then we'll sell your ship. And, uh, and Riker goes, why will we help you? He goes, well, it's, it's, he goes, mining is not easy, so why don't you get to work? Uh, but Riker says in a way, he goes, you don't think I'm really going to help you. It was great body language between him and Damon. He goes, I think, uh, I just liked his way, but he goes, I think, you know, mining's not easy. But then we're back at the team zone, teen zone. Uh, Picard's trying to get the computer to do something. Angelfish says hello to him. And he says delete audio instead of mute, which I thought was easy. And then they they find a schematic of the ship, and then they're going to go into Jeffrey's tube, which I hadn't heard about before. It sounds interesting, though. Kind of like a conduit. So they open the door to that. Roe and Keiko are ready to go. And Picard says, make it so. When they're ready to go, make it so. But then he gets bumped by, like, a Roomba that uh, Alexander Roshenko's playing with Worf's kid. And it's like a remote control toy. And Picard's like, you mind if I borrow this? I said, what the heck? Like, like he's the only one with, I said, like, but he goes, yeah, sure. And then we see a Ferengi on guard uh, who's distracted by the remote control uh, Roomba. 3240, the doors open and the Roomba runs out. And then Picard and Keiko... This is good. At 3240, you should check it out. Picard and Keiko are hiding down the hall. This was like, I think this has been in like a ton of 80s movies, uh, even modern movies, where two people are down the hall looking around the corner and they're like leaning. And then as soon as the person turns, they pull their heads back. Uh, 
maybe Breakfast Club. Did I say that? Uh, but, but I suppose movie pull the pull your head back thing. The Ferengi follows the remote control. Keiko and Picard sneak into the transporter room, get some phasers. They do some kind of programming. Oh, they program the um, uh, what do you call it? it uh, so that when you phase into it, the transporter, they put a uh, like a shield around it. And then the Ferengi, he catches a remote control and he's like kind of stroking it and inspecting it and trying to open it up. Uh, then we have Ro and Guinan. They're in the Jeffrey's tube. And Ro goes, this is the first time a Jeffrey's tubes haven't been cramped. Uh, and they go, Guinan's like, how far do we got to go? And, and Ro goes, what are you, tired? And Guinan goes, I'm not as young as I used to be. Uh, then we have, uh, 3357, a dude is like a, what are they called? Ferengi is looking at like a model of an atom or something. You know, those ones you put together with sticks and round, uh, balls or whatever protein structure or something at the med lab. And Alexander Roshenko, he does a knock, like a knock and dash or whatever. He rings the doorbell or knocks on the window and runs away. Uh, but it's a fake runaway cause he hides, uh, and then you get some, like, like one of those things that were flumist type things. Uh, then Roe and Guinan, they head down a ladder. They're at main, main engineering. Roe puts her hands behind her back, and she goes, now we wait. And then we see Alexander Roshenko crawling out. They uh, said, why is Worf's kid get used uh, in this uh, scam? I wasn't so sure, convinced on that. Uh, then we see Picard and Keiko are ready. She says, are you ready? All right, they're going over the plan. And then he says, I'm afraid I can't think of a way. Oh, no, he says, she goes, how are you going to get to the bridge? He says, I can only think of one way. So then he goes outside. And there's actually, this is 3542. The um, Ferengi has a Jim Henson Yoda voice, exactly like Yoda. And Picard cries for his father. He gets delivered to Riker. He goes, Daddy, Daddy. And then there's an ad break. Yeah, then Riker and Picard try to talk in code. He says, Geez, we'd like to just play some games down at the lab at the teen zone, Dad. And he goes, Well, the computers are off. And Picard goes, Just in schoolroom eight, can you turn them on just for some games with the fish? Like, you know, so like a spellathon or something. And Riker goes, I'll see Jean-Luc. Uh, and he goes, thanks, number one. And then everybody freezes. Uh, but he goes, my number one dad. And they give each other like a big after-school special hug. It was funny. And Picard goes back to the teen lounge. And then 37.15, another great scene. Damon is looking at the fish tank. Like, it's just awesome. You got to watch this one. He's running his hands across the globe of the fish tank. I couldn't tell if he was looking for, like, what he was looking for. He's, like, stroking it but looking for, like, some sort of secret. Uh, he even, like, looks up at the top. Uh, like, I don't know if he was going to, like, what he was trying to do, open the fish tank or look for something. But the doorbell rings. Right, It's Riker. Damon's very pleased. And he goes, yeah, your son was here. He goes, Riker goes, yep. He goes, yeah, we don't bring our offspring on ships. Uh Riker goes, too bad. Our family is our strength. And he goes, well, it's going to be your weakness. He goes, reprogram the computer. And Riker goes, no. And he goes, well, you should never brought your kids on board a ship. Uh, and Riker goes, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You got me. He goes, show Morta how to use the computer, too. By the way, he's not a, his computer literacy is low. So I want him to head, head that up, of course. And Riker did great fake acting. I liked his fake acting where he's like acting mad, like he was tricked. Uh, and as soon as Picard leaves, Damon goes right back to the fish tank. Then Ray, Riker was teaching, like, what are these? How did Ferengi, coding for Ferengi? He's teaching a little coding for Ferengi class. He's like, uh, okay, he goes, let me teach you about this. Uh, Open this station, and then he goes, yeah, there's Melacorts, quad kill, quad copters, core element, FTL nanoprocessors. Uh, and Morty goes, I'm not, a, you know, I understand. And Rick goes, oh, of course. Uh, let me show you how to use the isopalavial interface uh, to main fir firomactyl intra. He goes, but don't touch that button. 
And then Morty even asks, he goes, well, what does the ferromactyl drive do? Just explain. He goes, well, it does the Ramstack core, puts the manifold, you know, the KRGs. But meanwhile, he's using his right hand off to the side. He's, like, doing a redirection, like, you know, reprogramming something, which I thought would be really tough. I said, I wonder if these screens give haptic feedback or haptic, whatever you say. Because otherwise, how would you know you're pressing the right buttons? And then are those like, uh, like what kind of, like, is it just what the middle button would give you the haptic feedback? Like, the, like how the middle buttons on a lot of things have like a zero or a five have like two dots and one dot or whatever. Uh, then they start, uh, like Picard's plans in effect, they start transporting Ferengi in, uh, to the, uh, like the shielded, uh, transporter room. Uh, first, they do the one with the remote controlled car. Uh, then they go into engineering. Like, they just put, like, a comm on their back, and then they transport in row and guy and sneak up behind two, put comms on their back. They say tag. And then Alexander uh, does one in the school room. Oh, he, he goes up to one. He goes, I found this in the school room. Is it yours? And the Ferengi, of course, take it. Uh, then Keiko gives one flumis, which puts it to sleep. Uh, there's a little comedy scene where the Ferengi keep walking into the force field and, you know, getting sh- shot back. Uh, uh, then Picard's at the computer. He's very pleased. And he shut off all the ships. You know, they, he, he, the transporter security field, that was first, I guess. Uh, and then Riker's still back at the computer explaining, which is like an ongoing thing. And Picard comes to the, uh, he has said, Alexander, I'm going to go to finish this off at the bridge. Uh, and then the door opens. Picard's there with the phaser, but the Frankie turns to Picard. And then Riker does this like 80s move behind him where he puts his hands, he interlocks his hands and then uses that to like uh, gently stroke the Frankie's back. So he falls asleep, but he bumps into something first. Uh, then 4145, uh, Damon's looking at the computer in Picard's ready room. He's making faces. And I said, he must be looking up like fish tank schematics. Like I said, what is he like trying to figure out? I, I still think he's obsessed with the fish tank. And really good expressive faces for these Ferengi. Because Picard comes in and first Damon's uh, 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 stunned. Uh, and then Picard goes, I believe that's my chair. And then he's kind of like stupefied, like he smells some sort of, uh, like someone passed the gas. Uh, and once he realizes Picard has him, he like, uh, he puts his bottom teeth over his top teeth, like in this frown. And then there's a captain's log. Uh, we put Lurin, you know, Damon and Lurin or whatever into custody. Frankie denied any involvement, uh. Mining is back. We're closed. We got the crew back. Uh, now we can deal with the rest of this stuff. And then we see Crusher and O'Brien, which they're programming the transporter, which they said is, uh, this is definitely a conflict of interest. Uh, uh, they're like, okay, we got the rest of their DNA programmed in there, whatever, RNA, telomeres, all that. Uh, and Picard goes in first. He goes, energize. And Picard, Crusher looks very uh, conflicted but confident, uh, and then nervous. And then he energizes out. He energizes back. Uh, there's a nervous moment with O'Brien and Crusher and then big smiles of relief. Uh, they look at each other. Picard comes in. He looks awkward. He runs his hand over his bald head. He says, Oh boy. Okay. No more, no more young hair. But he goes, you know, he doesn't, he goes, I'm John Luke again, not John Luke. And then it ends with, like, another nice scene. Uh, really liked this scene. Uh, Rose still in the playroom as a, as a tween. And she's one confusion. She was working with, with what seemed to be pastels, but they called him crayons. And Guinan, as an adult, comes in. And Rose in a really good place. And she goes, this is a picture of my mother I'm making, uh, that, like, when I was young that I remembered. I never drew a picture of her, uh, but now I wanted to. And guiding, you know, life lesson, the city here. She goes, that's the good thing about crayons. They can take you to more places than a starship. And Ro goes, it's my turn. And Guinan's so kind and patient. She says, only if you're ready. 
And Roy goes, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Really good acting. Really, really good. Uh, actually, let me I'll pause it here. Let me just look up the actress. Uh, Megan Perlin is her name that played young Roe. It doesn't look like she has any listing, so maybe she stopped acting as a youth. Uh, a great job. Uh, and she goes, Ro goes, well, we better get going. And Guinan goes, well, what's the hurry? She goes, a transporter's going to be there. She goes, uh, pass me the royal blue. And then uh, Guinan gives her a crayon. And Guinan goes, thank you. And she goes, then they're talking about other pictures she's drew. And the camera's slowly pulling out. Uh, it's kind of like Guinan is like bragging to, or uh, Rose kind of like, uh, this was like, uh, I think in a recent opening, I talked about encouragement and praise. This was like a total encouragement. She goes, geez, did you do all these pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah Rose says. And Guinan gives her more encouragement. She goes, all of them, this is all the cameras pulling out uh, to a longer shot. And the episode ends. So really good episode, really different, and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, good night.